If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to the Newborn Mothers podcast and today we have Anna. Anna is a graduate of Newborn Mothers Collective and an exercise physiologist. We've had an exercise physiologist on the podcast before. I'm a big fan <laughs> of exercise physiology. A lot of people probably don't know what it is so maybe Anna you can tell us a little bit about your background and also how you came to study postpartum. Yeah thank you for having me um, on your podcast Julia. So um, yes, as you said, I started my working career as an exercise physiologist and, and actually I started um, my university study as an exercise scientist and I worked in two kind of high performance um, training avenues. I got a really high level international certification on um, with like working with elite athletes and periodizing their training across like four-year Olympic cycles and things. And when I started working and going into different placements, I really figured out that it was the people who exercise could make a difference to, um, to their lives rather than to their personal best times. That was the thing that gave me the buzz and the drive. So I transitioned into exercise physiology, which is, which is um, more looking at rehabilitation and managing long-term health conditions across the lifespan to improve quality of life using movement and lifestyle interventions. So um, interestingly, pregnancy is a chronic health condition because it goes for longer than six months. And as we and all mothers know, postpartum goes for more than six months as well. So both of these are long-term health conditions and this is um, those paths kind of intersected with postpartum care when I became a mother myself early last year, 2019. And, um, yeah, I, I went and I did a lot of work in preparing for my own postpartum, lots of reading and researching and filling my freezer and um, organising a helper roster and all sorts of things to make me, you know, feel that warm loved up postpartum bliss bubble as much as possible and yeah it was it was wonderful so I really felt the drive for other people and other women to be able to experience the peace and joy that I did and hence found your training Julia. Oh and I'm so glad you did Anna <laughs> because you you have such gifts for new mums and I think so many mums we you know listening to this going oh my gosh yes Pregnancy and postpartum is really difficult physically, you know, it's a physically really hard thing. And I feel like we don't have enough support around that, enough ideas of what is normal. Um, and women's pain in general is always, um, you know, it's generally underestimated and undertreated. So knowing that there are people out there who you can talk to and, and get support from is so valuable. Um, so maybe can we start a little bit with that and then we'll go on to some more of the broadly postpartum stuff that you're doing. But, you know, what are, it, what are some of the reasons that a new mum or a pregnant woman might see an exercise physiologist and what can you, what can you do? What, how, what do you help with? 
Yeah, okay. So I suppose the most common reason that people present to an exercise physiologist during pregnancy is because of pain, unfortunately. Um, so particularly around the hips and, and we call it the pelvic girdle, the whole pelvic area, um, back pain, shoulder pain. Sometimes people will be referred for some support around things like gestational diabetes or if they have an arthritic kind of condition that flares up due to, due to their pregnancy hormonal profile. Um, and in those cases, we're kind of looking at what areas can we stabilise and strengthen to help this mum be as comfortable as possible during her pregnancy. So we look at prescribing specific like corrective movement exercises um, that can, yeah, work on those things to to help her feel strength in her body as that body changes and adapts to the load of the baby um, and to her changing centre of gravity and things as well. You know, we, we change our walking pattern while we're pregnant um, because the belly is right in front of us. Um, it changes how far we can step through with our feet and with our, because our, our thighs kind of hit onto that um, a restriction point at the front. So our feet turn out a little bit, the arches flatten a bit because the ligaments are weakened during pregnancy and we start to use some different muscles. So it's quite common um, for the muscles around the glutes, particularly the ones on the side of the hip, to weaken, for example. And we end up doing a bit more of like a shuffle sway kind of catwalk walk, which is, you know, or a bit of a waddle walk, which are quite good adaptations for pregnancy. Um, it means that we can keep prop propelling ourselves forward with our steps. Um, but it also means that once that baby is delivered, that strength doesn't magically come back. So we are left with a situation where some muscles around our hips and legs and back are firing or a little differently to usual or are weaker than usual. And obviously we know our abdominal area and pelvic floor are going to be affected by pregnancy too. So we've got various areas of weakness that need to be that need to be addressed so that we can sort of feel physically functional again. And I think the trouble comes because there's not much guidance, not any guidance really, given between um, being told to do our pelvic floor exercises once the baby's born to a six-week check where a doctor may or may not do an internal examination and say, yeah, okay, you're fine to go back to the gym now. But if you just go back to the gym or to exercise or to your sport or to jogging or whatever it is and you haven't strengthened up those muscles that have changed just because of the anatomical changes of pregnancy, then um, you run the risk of, of other injuries. And unfortunately, that's kind of, that's where people might see exercise physiologists in pregnant in postpartum unless they've known before that something needs to be done to fill that gap in between. Yeah, which is what I was going to say. Anyone listening at home, if you're pregnant, go and get help now. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, so much, much easier better because... to prevent than cure. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah, exactly. You know, we can't change the fact that our abdominal wall is going to stretch during pregnancy. So we know we're going to have to do abdominal rehab one way or another afterwards but the muscles around your legs and hips that provide a stable base for your back to to be propped on top of don't need to get weaker if we're doing 
if we're doing the proper exercises during our pregnancy. So at least then you're only rehabbing one area, not everything, at the same time as also learning to breastfeed and, and trying to relax in that postpartum period. Yeah, thinking of it as rehab, I think could be quite comforting for people because it, you know, it can feel quite depressing and debilitating, you know, when you have a baby and you didn't realize that there would be so much involved in in getting mm. yourself back to being strong again. So thinking of it as a rehab period, I think could be a useful concept for people. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, although it's a little worrying for me when considering like the physiology of postpartum and and exercise rehab models um, <laughs> simultaneously because like there are studies that look at um, what kind of interventions help the most for abdominal reducing abdominal separation that start the woman doing exercises on day two postpartum that doesn't seem particularly um, respectful to the journey that that woman's body has gone through or that she is then energetically spiritually um maternally on um in that early period so a lot of the time the interventions that are looking at what exercises improve quality of life and strength and whatever else for postpartum women are not necessarily done with the control and intervention groups the right way around from my point of view um, we'll find things research findings that say um you know about the amount of walking that can be done postpartum for example um for restoring fitness and how this correlates to the woman's mood or quality of life scores but we're looking at those women in a in a western framework of undersupported postpartum where they're their quality of life or depression scores or whatever it is are being weighed against women who are at home inside under supported and being outside and under supported is much nicer than being inside and under supported because you've got that level of escapism. So I don't think that we can really um, take at face value all of the research that is around regarding exercise and postpartum and also the idea that um, you know exercise works on progressive overload principle which means like um, use it or lose it gradually build up and then your body gets used to that and then build up a little bit more get used to that build up a little bit more um, and there's a concern among rehab professionals that extended rest will decrease that the person's um, physical strength and capacities However, I don't believe that traditional cultures have got this wrong for thousands of years by enforcing extended rest at this period of time. I think, you know, pregnancy is a marathon physical effort that needs extended rest to then get all of your hormones and nourishment and everything else right to be able to springboard your rehab on top of that. We shouldn't be trying to ask women to rehabilitate at a time when when we are geared to be only resting and breastfeeding. I love That's that. my opinion. 
Uh, and that's why your work is so important, Anna, and combining your understanding of exercise physiology, but also with your training as a postpartum doula so that you've got this perspective that's a bit of a bigger picture um, perspective of postpartum than, than most mm. people who are studying exercise physiology would understand. Yeah, and I, I would just add the role of an exercise physiologist doesn't replace the role of a pelvic floor or women's health physiotherapist. So it's still recommended for postpartum women to see um, a pelvic floor physiotherapist within six to 12 weeks post-birth to check that um, that area is coming back online and functioning well before then integrating that with other, um, with other rehab modes. However, um, that's something that if you see your exercise physiologist and they have any concerns or flags or whatever, they'll be able to redirect you back to the women's health physio in your area. Whereas like if you just skip that step and go straight to the gym, that's not going to be on the radar of the majority of personal trainers. So that's why it's better to have this like cohesive allied health view um, in those early days because we've only got one body to live in. Yeah, and so many people do end up with chronic pain and chronic health problems, chronic pelvic floor problems, you know, literally mm. for the rest of their lives. I mean, a lot of women yeah. really never do rehabilitate properly. Yeah, we know you've possibly seen the brochures from the Continents Foundation of Australia that are titled One in Three Women Who Have Ever Had a Baby Wet Themselves. However, um, Laurie Fauna, who's one of the top, pelvic floor physiotherapist in Australia, um, and I agree with her, suggests that the number is actually far higher than that. It's just possibly another one-third of women don't do the activities that may stress them to, under to notice that they have an issue. Yes. Um, or, you know, we have quite high rates of sedentary lifestyle or they might be taking other precautions and precluding themselves from doing certain activities so they don't. So then when they're asked on the questionnaire, do you ever leak, they say no. Um, yeah, I think, I think it is far higher and it's particularly concerning and, um, you know, even if, even if you are not leaking, it is worth having that pelvic floor examination anyhow because um, uterine prolapses are reasonably common and, in the early stages, stage one and two, they can be completely asymptomatic. So, um, yeah, and they can be managed. But if we don't know about them, we can't manage them. Yeah, you know, and this is where I feel so grateful for having my own really good team of allied health, you know, professionals in my own postpartum care because I've experienced a lot of the things you're talking about. And, um, you know, my youngest is four and I still, my glutes still aren't strong. I still have to switch them on um, before I join in regular exercise classes and things like that. I'm, you know, I just have this level of body awareness. And I remember in the early days, actually, my exercise physiologist asking me exactly that question, do I leak? And I said, no. And then as we discussed it more, it was because I hadn't really returned to exercise yet. You know, I wasn't really testing it out. And she was like, well, yeah. you know, why don't we give it a little try before you just say, no, it's fine. <laughs> That's it. And you might like the majority of the day, you might think, no, I don't have any urge or whatever. But sometimes I feel like everything's under control. And then I pick up a heavy bag on one side and my 11 kilo child on the other side. And with that extra weight on my body, suddenly my pelvic floor is going, actually, you probably can't hold this for too long or you will need to go to the loo. So I know there's still work for me to do as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how old is your yeah. little one? She's 16 months old. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I had think... this body awareness throughout, you know, and I did yes. a lot of prenatal Pilates, a lot of breath work, you know, all the things that help me be in tune with my body. And it still doesn't mean that everything is perfect because you're still juggling mum life and work and looking after yourself and all those things so I certainly don't um begrudge any women who reach out to support later um you know I've had when I was working in the hospital system I had women who were for the first time talking about their pelvic floor issues and their children were in their 20s Mm. like I worked with a mum who's a like a good friend of mine um a few months ago and she's known what I do for this whole time. Her youngest is four years old and it's taken that long for her needs to come to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, it's not anything to be ashamed about. I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think seven years is the average length of time that it takes a woman to get the help that she needs for pelvic floor. <gasps> wow. Yeah, that's mm, just too long. Too and it's just, I mean, this is just the gender data gap that we're experiencing in all aspects of our life, isn't it? This is just one of those all millions of, of examples of daily and difficulties. I think, I think it's one of those things, and this is where I get really passionate about advocacy for, for women and mothers across the whole spectrum of, of life, is that the key window for us to get help on this stuff is a time when we are generally not earning. So not only is it hard to put ourselves in a position to make the appointment, organise the childcare, but it's also kind of a like, oh, well, I'm not really having any issues that are affecting my life, so I'm not going to sort that out. Yes, it's not the but, highest priority you know, you, when your you've got floor might so be, many other expenses. Yeah, that's it. And you might have an underactive or understrength pelvic floor where you're leaking and that can be an obvious sign. But for an overactive pelvic floor, for example, the only symptom that you might have is pain having sex. So when a breastfeeding mother's or a tired mother is already probably not got the biggest libido of her life, how is that going to entice her? to have a fulfilling sexual relationship with her partner if she knows that there's going to be pain. Um, yeah. It's just easier to avoid sex easier just to put it off, to solve it? the problem, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, And also, like, that they might not know that that's something that could be helped with. It could just be like, oh, well, that's just how my body's healed after the baby. We don't know. That's right. And because so many people do say, oh, you'll never have sex again, they might just go, well, it's normal. I don't want to Oh, well, to that's anymore. part of why. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And there can be misconceptions about a lot of the um, trouble with pelvic floor happens because of, because of the extra weight of the baby during pregnancy as well. So, for example, women who have had a C-section, have had one C-section, have only like 5 to 10% less risk of incontinence than um, women who have had a vaginal birth and by the time they have their third child by cesarean there's no difference in terms of mm-hmm. rates of of pelvic floor dysfunction mm. so I think people go like oh well I didn't push this baby out so um, that's not it or they might have had like the double whammy of attempted 
vaginal and instrumental intervention and then an emergency C-section anyway. So then they've got um, weakening across the abdominal wall and abdominal fascia that's healing in various layers of stitching as well as the injury to the pelvic floor. And it becomes quite a convoluted um, issue to address if you're not getting the professional support. And I think the professional support is not promoted as much as it should be because there's no Medicare rebate at this point for that women's, women's health physio pelvic floor check post-birth. And there is a movement that's come around again. I think one of the W, you might know, know what's going on there actually, Julia. There's, um, I think there's a bit more action happening around the WAMPs at the moment to try and take that further. No, I don't um, know. To get that added to the Medicare to schedule. It. Yeah, it's only in the last couple of weeks they met with one or two of the MPs over there to drive the cause again. So, oh, fantastic. Um, Maybe you can hook me up yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try and find you the link. So let's transition into what you then did with that because I think you've just got this real magic mix of both having that understanding of the exercise physiology but then moving more into a postpartum doula framework so you've got this much more holistic understanding of postpartum care. But you were starting your business right at the beginning of you know, the craziest year of our lifetime. So <laughs> how do you feel about that? Yeah. How to launch your business during a global pandemic. Hey there, I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this episode, then you'll really enjoy Newborn Mothers Collective too. The Collective is online postpartum training and professional development with over a thousand students from 40 different countries around the world. Wherever you are in your postpartum career, taking your first step or with decades of experience, if you feel a deep calling to work with new families during this life-changing transformation, Newborn Mothers Collective is for you. Learn more over at newbornmothers.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Positives and negatives. <laughs> um, yeah. So in March, I was due to go back to my pre-baby job exercise physiology at a private hospital and I had two shifts back at that job and then in New South Wales the private system started um, standing down employees because there were no um, what's the word the type of operations that are the non-essential operations, like mm -hmm. elective. Sorry. Sorry. How's oh, that I good? see. Yeah, they closed down elective. Elective um, operations weren't happening. Mm -hmm. So they only had sort of half the patient base. And um, my manager came around and said, instead of standing down, would you like to take an extension of your unpaid maternity leave? And I said, yes, absolutely. Please, where do I sign? how long can I take it for? <laughs> you know, leaving your 10, 11-month-old baby to go back to a hospital in the middle of a pandemic didn't feel overly safe. So, um, yeah, and I think I did my two shifts and then within a week I registered my business and decided that 
I was sure that there was a way that I could help more people um, doing postpartum and exercise physiology work than by going inside, back inside the rules and regulations of a private employee system. I felt I had much more to offer. So um, I will just step back from that a little bit because before I was doing that work, I actually did a, um, a number of community health programs where I connected um, patients or clients of different groups um, with exercise and lifestyle advice and guest presenters. So, for example, I would do like a 10-week program with a dietitian um, with families around childhood obesity or I would do a six-week program commissioned by Leukemia Foundation, something like that for, for patients and carers. Um, and I felt like that kind of a, a program could work really well in an online context rather than everybody operating in little, operating in little piecemeal sections. So I did set up my online business with, you know, remote support offerings, doula uh, and mama mentoring. Um, so video calls and voice message check-in support and sending resources and all those things. I set up my provider information to be able to offer telehealth exercise services as well, so by video call um, to do some women's health work. Um, and then I set about creating um, an online course. And the thing that really stuck out to me um, during my pregnancy and postpartum was the phrase, nothing can prepare you for life with a baby. And I did my preparation and I felt prepared and my baby came and I had the most loved up six weeks of my life. And I thought, no, you're telling me nothing can prepare you for it because either you had a poor experience or you can't, you can't be bothered taking the time to give me some advice that would be actually useful or perhaps you don't have the resources or the know, know how where to look for some of these things. Um, you know, a whole host of reasons, a number of, a number of extra thoughts could be added in there. But I felt that it really did a disservice to parents having that throwaway line and I felt that with my lived experience and my background and my love for being a connector, that it was a, a gap that I could fill and fill well. So I developed um, a program, which is called Prepared, for parents to explore postpartum and, and feel prepared as prepared for postpartum as they do from a birth education course. So I um, basically, I did up the website, I did up the sales page, I sorted out some dates and I cold contacted six different presenters and asked them to join me on my course across various topics of their expertise and um, just about fell off my chair or fainted as each and every one of them said yes. <laughs> Include like an international lineup, like people that have best selling books and PhDs and podcasts and um, yeah, like 
big how businesses did, just all said yes. How did you overcome your fear of reaching out to these people? I mean, it sounds like the pandemic's thrown us all into a bit of a, you know, like forced us into these positions where we have to just act quickly, make quick decisions and just get on with some stuff which we maybe otherwise <laughs> would procrastinate on. But yeah, what was it for you that made you have the courage to go, you know what, I'm just going to call this person up and ask them to help me? Well, I think it was actually a lot of the things that the, that the presenters um, have as their area of expertise. I actually felt reasonably confident talking about their areas. Um, like I'm used to doing a lot of health presentations across a lot of different areas. So once I read and integrate some of that research into my brain, it's not overly hard for me to formulate another, like synthesize and formulate a way to present that back to somebody. So um, I just thought like, I have nothing to lose here. All I'm going to ask is, hi, I've read your book. I love your work. I watched you on this. I listened to this episode. Um, and I was just wondering if you would be interested in presenting a similar session in my program. Um, if not, totally fine. I, I'm more than happy to um, summarise your key findings from this and direct them back to your main work. But just saying because, you know, it's great to have it straight from the horse's mouth. Pretty much that's what I said. I, I <laughs> and, love it. Um, yeah, and, they all said yes. Yeah, and the fact that you said you've got nothing to lose, I think people forget that, don't they? Because the worst that could happen is they don't reply or they say, no, I'm really busy right now, you know. Yeah, but And it, it's not that bad really, is it? No, and there was, you know, somebody that I and like it's a different program as well. Like it's a something it feels a bit weird to say like groundbreaking or trailblazing because it's something that to a doula, a postpartum doula, sounds like it should be so obvious to have in a program, but it's not. So I think when I, I just laid out like these are the sessions that I'm going to that I'm going to be doing and what I'm going to be talking about. Um, and I would love to have your, your input. Um, yeah, I think people just went, okay, that is a bit different. And so the first key difference is that um, it's a program where both parents have access to it because I'm sick to death of the assumed inferiority of the non-birth parent um, when it comes to childcare and, you know, they don't get the maternity leave beforehand. They don't get 10 million books that they could read. There's no direct podcasts that I've found around fatherhood. There's now some really good episodes, but there weren't even 16 months ago, like when my baby was born. Like you've done a few since then, Julia. Um, Amy Taylor-Kabaz has done one recently. Sophie Brock's done one. Um, but there really weren't weren't resources for for him and um i don't want mothers not and birth parents to have to be the educator of the other parent anymore so i created a course that they could both access um and um had it 
geared in terms of evidence-based and scientific information that was going to like, you know, appeal to the more like structured masculine sort of thing and also some like more flowy topics, transition to motherhood, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's obviously a winning combination because you've had 12 enrolments. I've had seven in this first course and I think I've got, I've had a couple already inquire as to when the next round is coming, which I plan to be in October. I'd like to do one with one course for each, um, each school term. Yeah, which for listeners might not sound like that many, but just for comparison, the first e-course that I ever ran, I think I had one or two enrolments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was stoked with seven, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, seven's amazing, amazing. So yeah. it definitely looks like you're onto a winner and it, I'm really, really impressed with how you've managed to kind of, you know, innovate and be find some really creative solutions for supporting mums. Um, during the pandemic, during what's been a really difficult year. And I'm sure a lot of the families participating in your course have felt like that too, because at the moment, you know, there might not be a lot of other resources for them to access. So being able to do this yeah, online. Yeah, and I, I think um, having something that they can do together is good too, because um, it's still the situation here where um, or it might have just changed actually. But I know that when most of the participants in this group were going to like their 12 and 20 week ultrasound scans that only the mother was allowed to go. Mm. Um, and so, you know, dad didn't even get to do the watching on the screen sort of thing. Aww, um, so drop her sad. off and yeah, just like circle the car park. And yeah, it was, it's been quite, um, quite a difficult time for them. So yeah. And a lot of the face to face, birth classes, which, you know, I take issue a little bit with the straight up hospital birth classes, but some of those were cancelled as well and all those sorts of things. So, yeah. Am I allowed to name drop who's on this course at the moment? Yeah, that's, that's, we can close with that. I, we, it, I always close by saying, where can people find out more? So why don't you yeah. do that? Tell me about the course and where people can find you. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So, um, yes, as I said, the next round will be in October. I think we're going to start around the 6th. Um, so our lineup this time included Dr. Oscar Serilac, who is, um, an, a best-selling author of the postnatal depletion cure, and he's looking at maternal health, um, and avoiding depletion postpartum. I had, um, Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum from Nurture Neuroscience, who phoned in from Canada, and she's, she's, a powerhouse in this space so she was an I think an associate professor of neuroscience and working specifically in infant brain development and she just felt that the research was crying out to like the research was crying out for I'm getting a bit tongue-tied here <laughs> crying out at us in the ways that we can promote infant brain development and, um, and long-term lifelong stress resilience and health. And, um, you know, the research lag between when the research is published and when health professionals and parents are actually implementing and know about this information is about 15 to 17 years. So there's been a lot learned in that time that 
we live in a social media age where we can access information like at our fingertips yet this stuff is still not being filtered down to us so dr guru is actually also a doula and um is particularly interested in infant sleep and so she joined us to talk about um, parenting practices to support baby's brain development um, we had breastfeeding education with an international board certified lactation consultant emma ma we have had a motherhood studies expert researcher, Dr. Sophie Brock, um, talk about empowered mothering and parenting practices and look at mum guilt and all the ways that we can sort of set our, set our own uh, values and course for parenting as we want to. Um, and this week we've got another one of your graduates, Katie Parker, is coming on to talk about infant sleep and what is biologically normal infant sleep and supporting it. And we're finishing off with Tara Whitewood, who's a relationship and sex coach, to talk about, you know, we sort of, um, sometimes we get taught in like hospital classes how to swaddle a baby, but not actually how to check in with each other and not hate each other when we have <laughs> a screaming child for a long time. Um, and, yeah, it's a long-term, like, long-term checking in and, and long-term relationships and we've just i've just been in talks actually with a birth educator um and she'll be coming on board for our next program as well to look at um at completing that that whole parcel of um well, you didn't include yourself yeah. because oh the, yeah that completes the parcel actually the end yeah. exercise for that's pregnancy, true. birth yeah. and beyond <laughs> yes that's me um and actually there is one more um i do a session with an a dad um, talking about transition to motherhood and fatherhood and the dad that's joining us for this program is the kind of awesome dad that, you know, takes his kids camping in the backyard overnight so mum can sleep in the bed by herself and things like that. So, um, yeah, awesome. it's, quite, it's quite thorough. There's various other, like, trainings and resources and things that I give around parent mental health and baby wearing and I do a workshop on postpartum food um preparation and setting up your meal train and all that sort of stuff's included in it so it's a very thorough package um this course um uh, yeah it. so it'll be sort of a four-week course for 555 dollars and if people um join in by the end of september um then they'll be able to have a free one-on-one -on -one call with me to either plan their postpartum or have a post-birth debrief that's great. We might not get this this um, podcast published in time for that round. I'll have to check the schedule, but make, we'll make sure, That's Anna, cool. that the listeners, we've got the, you know, whatever the latest dates are um, up in the show notes as well as the link. Yeah, absolutely. People can find you at annacusack.com.au. Is that right? Yep, yep. Anna Cusack, C-U-S-A-C-K. And my Instagram and Facebook and both Anna Cusack postpartum. Excellent. And we'll make sure we update all of that in the show notes. Anna, it's been really, really lovely talking to you. I think you've got some really important things to say. And like I said, I just think you've done such a fabulous job of, of making sure that you can continue to support um, new families as well as your own family in what's been a very difficult year. So thank you so much for sharing yeah, that with us. It's actually been lovely to have a positive project when everything's been a bit topsy-turvy. It's really, I think, um, centred me because I, I think that parenting is a really, like, it is a social and a political 
act and um yeah being able to feel like you're contributing is is a wonderful thing too I totally agree, yeah. And I think becoming a mother often makes us more ambitious, um, you know, and more determined than ever to, to make the world a better place. 100%. I, think, yeah, I hear that loud really and clear. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. All right. Thanks, Julia. Bye. Bye. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high-quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.